Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 154th episode of the Lunch Pell Guys podcast. I'm your host, Aiden, today. I'm with most of the usual crew, Lucas, Bart, and Jared. No Wyatt, sadly, so Wyatt stands out there. Just stop listening now. It's not worth it. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> he's doing per- our uh, election night coverage tonight, so he's a little, <laughs> exactly. a little busy. Correspondent. Yeah. <laughs> White House correspondent. He, he's exactly. counting the votes right now. He's live in, I don't know, <laughs> Pennsylvania, Georgia. I don't know what are, what are other battleground states, but <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'm live in Pennsylvania. Right yeah, Lucas is live in Pennsylvania, but not doing anything useful. Just, <laughs> exactly. like, just on this podcast. <laughs> Anyways, per usual, we're going to start with news we missed. Uh, and speaking of Pennsylvania, the Phillies lost in the World Series. We're so. very sorry, Lucas. <laughs> um, okay. The Astros won uh, 4-2. And uh, shout out to Mattress Mac, who made, I think, $75 million in his bets. <laughs> on the Astros in the World Series, so good good Easy. week for him, you know. Apparently, uh, Caesar Sportsbook said that that, in that like single bet will affect, uh, will determine how their Q4 goes. <laughs> I think it's not going to go well now that he won, so. <laughs> I would imagine not. Wait, but why, why did they give him good odds? Weren't the Astros heavily favored? I, I don't know. Isn't it was like a parlay bet, or something. Like at multiple times during the season. Or before the season. Not that oh, the Astros oh, were ever see. long shots, but they weren't like, you know, two to one or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I assumed he made the bet like right before the season. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. And apparently he like, and I feel like we've discussed this before, uh, but he does it to hedge his like discounts on furniture. Yeah. So <laughs> when he, well, he says that, that if the Astros win... Like, the deal is that if you bought furniture in the last 30 days or something, you get it for free or for, there's some, like, promotion related to it. So the point is that That's crazy. if the Astros win, like, he'll win the, he'll get the $75 million to offset the losses from that. You get a free otherwise. mattress. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. And I'll if take not, that. then he just made a bunch of money in new mattresses and it probably offsets the losses. Exactly. Wants, so. It's a, an absolutely brilliant business strategy. <laughs> so. <laughs> I hate that it works so well. I know. <laughs> right. uh, but anyway, that's our last baseball news probably for the next six months. So. Uh. <laughs> yeah. It was a good. It was a good run for the Phillies. It was a great run for the Phillies. You want to talk about it, Lucas? They won the pennant. They almost won the World Series. I emotionally checked out, kind of. I think after they got no hit, Uh, I think that was kind of the wow end to it. But no, I was obviously rooting. But yeah, Yeah, I thought when when that happened, I'm like, okay, back to reality. Yeah, back to reality a little bit. But hey, good run. They won. It was a great. They get to put a new little flag up in Citizens Bank Park next year, and it was fun. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no hate on the Phillies. That that seemed like a good time, much better time than I had. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> moving on to some college football. Um, we're going to talk about some you know big college football news in depth. But one thing that we're not going to you know talk detailed about is Georgia easily beating Tennessee, which was a bit of a sad thing to watch. I feel like 
Um, but I forgot what the final score was. Was it 27 13 um, yeah, or something like that? Right. It, was, it was less Not close. Not as close as the score it, suggests. Yeah. 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 Um, so, anyway, Georgia continues to reign supreme. It's, you know. Stetson Bennett obviously putting the team on his back. <laughs> now he actually he actually we I was listening back to our preseason episodes. We 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 kind of gave him a lot of shade, but he's he's playing pretty well. He had some dimes in that game. Some long dimes. Yeah. That I was surprised by. Um yeah, yeah hence the shade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in some college football stuff that we are going to talk about Notre Dame and LSU uh Brian Kelly's former team and his current team both had big weekends. Uh, so 10 games into Marcus Freeman's tenure, Notre Dame beat Clemson, a top five team. And Brian Kelly, in his first year with LSU down south, uh, beat Bama in his first season, first game against Bama, as not a Notre Dame <laughs> coach he won. Uh, so anyway, Jared, based on all this, was Brian Kelly leaving for LSU and Marcus Freeman taking over at ND a win-win? I certainly hope so. And I, I think there are a good, a good amount of reasons why both fan bases can be optimistic. I'll talk about Notre Dame mostly because we've, we gave some time to LSU last week. But since I've been a fan starting in the 2015 season, this is definitely the most dominant win I've seen from Notre Dame, I would say. We won over a team that was more talented, talented, than, talented than us. They were obviously ranked in the top four, and even on team talent composite from two four seven, they're ranked uh, five spot spots ahead of us as the fifth most talented team in the country. So a very talented team. On top of that, two weeks to prepare for us, a really good rushing defense, and they knew exactly what we were going to try to do, which was run the ball, and they still could not stop it. Very, uh, very impressive game plan that we had in execution of that game plan. And as you alluded to, Aiden, uh, it only took Freeman 10 games as head coach to get his top five win. It took Brian Kelly 136 games with Notre Dame. So that's a little, you know, uh, boost for Freeman. Crowd was great that ga- uh, during that game. Um, really fun to watch. I would say in terms of long-term being a win-win, we've talked a lot about Marcus F- Freeman being a better recruiter than Brian Kelly. But he also may be better at building a staff, potentially. The team this year has noticeably improved from the start of the year, and I think this is a trend that we actually saw with Freeman's first year as the coordinator. For example, on the offensive line, think about the fact that Marshall outrushed us by 89 yards in that game that we played against them. Against Ohio State, we only rushed for 76 yards. Cal, 147 rushing yards. Then against UNC, we kind of figured out something. Rushed for 287 yards. BYU, UNLV, and Syracuse all over 220 yards. Clemson, we rushed for 263. The O-line as a unit has definitely improved not only from last year, but from the beginning of the season. And there's buzz that this is Harry Highstand's best coaching job since he's been at Notre Dame, which he had a stint back from 2012 to 2017, and now he's back after being in the NFL. Another assistant coach who showed their skills against Clemson was special teams coach Brian Mason. Mm. We've blocked six punts this season, actually, which, like, racking my brain makes sense, but you don't really realize that. We actually lead the nation in blocked punts this year. Mm. And I also believe Al Golden has done a pretty solid job in continuing trend of, trend of like, stout defense that we've played, I would say, since 2017. We've had pretty good defenses. I know some people don't really like Al Golden. I think he's done a pretty good job. But mm-hmm. this is a trend that I think has started with the Freeman last year where 
Our defense was very bad last year against Florida State. By the end of the year, we had an, a very stout defense. We gave up 14 points or fewer in each of our last four games. So I think this is kind of a calling card for Freeman of not only do the teams improve, not only is he a good recruiter of players, but it seems like he's a good recruiter of staff as well. And the staff has kind of grown up a little bit this season. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic um, in that regard. And then recruiting-wise, of course, we're, we have fallen off the number one rank. Bama now has that rank as expected, but we are ranked third as, as the third best class in the 2023 class with, with a five-star commit, according to 247. So I think there is a lot of reasons to be optimistic for Notre Dame. On the LSU uh, side, real quick, um, I, I I wasn't really that hard on Brian Kelly when he left. Like, I totally understood the decision. I don't really, like, see it as a betrayal or anything. But um, I love how the national media was like, he's not a fit there culturally, when really the only fit they needed was just a coach that knew how to win, which Brian Kelly mm-hmm. objectively knows how to do. And to, to the fact that he beat Saban and Bama in his first season is actually pretty incredible. Very incredible. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Yeah. Um, I love that he went for two in that game. And I know a lot of people were saying before this tenure happened when, like, he was faking the Southern accent, like, there's no way the players are going to buy in. If they weren't bought in before that, they have to be bought in now. And that's also, again, carrying on to their next recruiting class where they're they're right behind Notre Dame, actually, at number four. So there are definitely reasons for both fan bases to be optimistic. Um, and we can talk about some of those implications a little bit later in this discussion, but... I'll give you guys the floor as well. Yeah, I kind of want to jump to LSU right away because I think that in looking at this, this is kind of a tailor-made situation for Brian Kelly to succeed in retrospect. And that I think what his biggest strength at Notre Dame was was that he was very good at making the best of what he had. Like he could take the team he had, find its strengths, and win games. Mm-hmm. But he could never really like develop the talent necessary to compete mm-hmm. at the highest level. Walking into LSU... He, already ha- he doesn't have to necessarily develop the talent, so him getting the best out of the talent that he's got is a very competitive team at this point. So I think mm-hmm. it's like very well-suited to Brian Kelly's strengths. It's like, okay, he knows exactly what he has, and what he has is a super talented team that he knows can compete. And so for that reason alone, he can go up against teams like Bama and pull out wins and have the gutsy calls to like go for two right at the end and know that he can like he has the guys to do it, whereas that wasn't necessarily true at Notre Dame because he did always struggle with talent development. Like I think that's just like objectively true especially the quarterback position Notre Dame never really had quarterbacks that, like got better bar maybe Ian Book over the course of his entire tenure there and that's maybe like you know you can't be good at everything I guess unless you're like Nick Saban or Kirby Smart um, and that was sort of his weakness but now that he's at a program where that weakness is sort of papered over I think this is like very evidently become an excellent situation for Brian Kelly to be in Yeah, I agree. No, I think I think Brian Kelly seems like he's in a great situation. The Marcus Freeman stuff, I'm a little less convinced on, just because I feel like Clemson isn't good. I feel like the fact that we dominated them was less a result of Notre Dame being really good, even though yes, we certainly have improved since the since the season began, than just Clemson being an overrated team and mm-hmm. the ACC in general being overrated. That's kind of a year in year out thing to some degree but this year in particular for Cle- uh, are you talking about clemson or the ACC? not clemson the acc okay um but but clemson yeah clemson obviously has not been overrated you know in a couple years over the past you know five six years during their reign 
Um, but this year in particular, it felt like they were kind of struggling to stay above water in the ACC. And above water for them is, you know, still blowing out the ACC in some games and barely beating, uh, you know, Florida State, Syracuse, Wake Forest. Like, they weren't doing their usual. And I feel like this was kind of true last year. They weren't doing their usual just like this is like coasting. Like, it was actually worth watching some of these ACC games because they could lose. Uh, And the fact that, like, Notre Dame, when Notre Dame beat Syracuse last week in a pretty dominant affair, it felt like it was a a good benchmark for what the ACC, how good the ACC actually was. And then Mm -hmm. the Clemson victory only proved that further. Um, But the fact that Notre Dame, who has obviously struggled in certain games this year, even though largely that was at the beginning of the season, they stole the Stanford loss, obviously, in the last three weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame has not struggled at all against the ACC and against the best of the <laughs> ACC. When you look at, they've played Clemson, UNC, and Syracuse, potentially the three best teams yeah. in the conference. Uh, Clemson and UNC would be undefeated if not for Notre Dame. And they really haven't had much trouble with them at all, uh, mm-hmm. despite having trouble with certain other teams. And so it really does... I feel like it's it's hard for me to separate whether this is Notre Dame like turning a corner or looking really good or it just a, a whole conference just not being up to snuff here. Well, I mean, Notre Dame has like historically had like the ACC's number too. Like, I don't think this is necessarily anything new. I saw a stat this week that I think since Notre Dame lost to Miami in 2017, they're 27-0 against the ACC. So it's not like this is something that's like necessarily totally out of character. For Notre Dame, though, like I think this is like more of like a benchmark that they should be meeting, as opposed to like, I don't know, like things are like vastly improved. And I think it's like encouraging that this is a benchmark that they are hitting now because, mm-hmm. I mean, the beginning of this year was like admittedly just like awful with the Marshall loss, even the Stanford loss when we were all there a few weeks back, were um, <laughs> both, you know, pretty bad results. But now it's like okay, Freeman's turned it around. They're hitting those benchmarks they need to be hitting. I think like. At the beginning of the year, I said this was going to be a rebuilding year where, like, I think I said 9-3 and three was, mm-hmm. like, a relatively effective benchmark. Jared, I think, went back and fact-checked that this past week. <laughs> yeah, 9-3 nine and, um, and three is your official prediction. That's looking yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like, okay, this is about the year I expected. Like, it didn't start off that way, but, like, for Freeman's first year as a head coach, it's not going to be perfect. They're going to be growing pains, but by the end of the year, put it all together. I mean, they're either going to be nine and three or eight and four this year. Knock on wood. Like, I don't think BC or Navy are going to be losses, and it just comes down to the USC game at the end yep. of the year. Um, so we'll see. I mean, like, I think it's it, obviously not perfect. I would have liked better. But I think this is a relatively promising start for Freeman because all the worst mm-hmm. moments pretty much came at the beginning of the year. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I know. I know the national narrative is to say that like Clemson is who we thought they they were, but. I think a lot of that comes down to they also have an inexperienced staff, uh, at least on the offensive and defensive coordinator spot. They lost both their coordinators last year. But they have an objectively talented team, like I said, with the the team talent composite rankings. So I think it is showing that, okay, a team that like Clemson, that has the talent, at least, I would think, Mm -hmm. to compete for a national championship, we can push them around. Mm -hmm. It's possible. It's in our DNA. I think that's an encouragement that I don't really know... (laughs) that we saw with under the Brian Kelly tenure, like the Clemson game in 2020, they like, obviously they didn't have Trevor Lawrence that game, but also it was like a double overtime win, not a, mm-hmm. 
35-14 or whatever it was, 35-14. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah, no, agreed. Just based on the pure talent level on the field, that's the most dominant. I've seen Notre Dame take a, a very talented team, even if it's a talented team that's kind of seems like slightly a mess, um, but... And even seen, like, and even the point. Ohio State game, we actually played. <laughs> yeah, at least on defense, we played very well. Like offense, yeah. we we're just limited on that side of the ball, but defense played a very good game, I think, too. Right, and we've talked about this in the past that it like Marcus Freeman was not blessed with even one of the better Notre Dame QBs. I think you were mentioning <laughs> Lucas that it's not like the Notre Dame is under Brian Kelly had great QBs, but at least they were passable QBs, and. Drew Pine is definitely the worst that we've seen. There are definitely some issues there. So the fact that he's been able to still beat Clemson, for example, here is is pretty impressive. Okay, moving on. Do we think that who's going to win a playoff game first? First of all, (laughs) Brian Kelly or Marcus Freeman? And do we think either or both of them will win a playoff game? I think BK will first just because mm-hmm. of the yeah he's an easier path he's, he's i would say path, yeah. not this year though. does he though discuss yeah. this later. <laughs> no he does he does have an easier path to win a to win a playoff game in terms of the talent that lsu is like proven they've been able like coach he's he's i would say an objectively better coach than coach o was and he was able to mm-hmm. win two playoff games you know what i mean i feel like in terms of the resources that lsu has proven they can get in the college football era or even let's say post 2000 Notre Dame hasn't really proved that yet. Like Freeman has that extra hurdle he needs to cross over, I think. That Brian Kelly doesn't have. Mm. At LSU. Yeah. I guess the question is, are we counting wins when the playoff expands to twelve teams? Cause... Yeah, we're counting. Well when it when it when it expands to twelve, Notre Dame hundred percent Yeah. I think we'll could win. win that first game. Yeah. Then it's breaking into that next echelon is like where we've been trying to get the last 10 years right or five years seven years yeah yeah i still feel like there's the risk of an sec team getting lost in the mix mm. and i feel like lsu could still fall back victim to that though maybe maybe brian kelly's about that we'll, we'll have to see um but further on on the lsu topic do they this year have any chance of making the playoff they have a chance i think <laughs> i i hate I it they but they have a chance I think, yeah yeah which is I, dumb uh, because the the committee, the committee hates bad losses unless you're in the SEC. Then they give you a free pass for it. They don't mm-hmm. care about get them getting blown out by Tennessee, but of mm-hmm. course it's a big factor for Oregon getting blown out by Georgia. They don't care that LSU lost to Florida State at the start of the year. I mm-hmm. mean, even look at Notre Dame. Like we have more impressive wins than what Texas has, but Texas is ranked ahead of us as a three loss mm-hmm. team. They every other team other than SEC teams get punished for bad losses. Yeah. I mean, for LSU to get in, it requires that they beat Georgia in the SEC championship. Yeah. Like that's the only path. And and yeah, uh, TCU would probably have to lose too. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said because TCU is now officially in the top four. Um, they're like it would be the most like textbook college football thing for them to finally get in, and then they lose to Texas this weekend. Yeah, that's gonna be a tough yeah. game. Yeah. I hope it happens. It's a, it's a chaotic top four kind of right It now. is chaotic, it yeah. It is a chaotic top four. Yeah. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, all that. And yep. then TCU at four. Yep. One thing, okay. one thing I want to cover, too, real quick. 
I, I kind of think that, like, like let's say both coaches were able to win a playoff game. Like, Brian Kelly was able – or um, Marcus Freeman was able to win a playoff game at Notre Dame and, like, Brian Kelly was at LSU. I feel like that would say that, like, the idea of, like, a, a, a fit at a school is way more fickle than we think. Where that, like – basically just that, like, some coaches – are better positioned to sell a particular university than another, I think would be my conclusion. Mm-hmm. Maybe Freeman has a better understanding of how to sell Notre Dame than Brian Kelly did. Or it's maybe it's that recruiting at Notre Dame is less about recruiting using the brand and recruiting using your own persona, which some coaches just can't do. But they could recruit for a good brand, let's say, like Brian Kelly could maybe at LSU. That'd be my takeaway from it. What do you guys think? Like, here's another example. Like, James Franklin. Maybe he doesn't have the charisma to recruit well enough at Penn State, but if he was at Ohio State and recruiting that brand, I would think he's probably as good of a recruiter as Ryan Day at that point, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, nobody's, nobody's like, I want to I play for Ryan Day, you know what I mean? I don't know. You're not really saying that. <laughs> yeah. It's like you want to play for Ohio State and in that system. It's not like Ryan Day is, like, this charismatic, like, yeah. Dabo Freeman type guy. Yeah, Yeah. where Dabo can kind of, you know, Dabo is that coach that can kind of overcome a little bit of brand equity loss, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Jared. I feel like the the baseline recruits that Brian Kelly will get at LSU are probably better, and he's going to make that good. Like, he's always, when he has a roster, he's going to make it, I feel like, as good as it can be to some degree, at least in in that current year. Whereas Freeman's going to be the guy who goes out and gets better recruits to Notre Dame in the first place. At least we're better recruits than, you know, overachieves from a recruiting standpoint with Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes back to what Lucas was saying about BK and, like, taking what he's got and making it work, but not really improving him. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've read conflicting things about BK's personality, but he really does strike me as a guy who's just, like, he doesn't have a ton of he wouldn't have a ton of excitement at, at, when he came to your house or whatever and re- tried to recruit mm-hmm. you you know so I, yeah I do feel like LSU guys will go to LSU because it's LSU and the same thing would have been said for Notre Dame but I yeah clearly Notre Dame's brand is not quite there yeah it's there to like be in the top 15 or something at a baseline or even maybe the top 10 but it feels like to be to compete with the SEC schools to compete with Bama Georgia they're gonna need someone who's a bit more yeah charismatic or someone who people want to play for a bit more okay last question back to clemson are they out of playoff contention now or no i would say likely yes like i would take a one last pac-12 team whoever if if there's a one last pac-12 champion i would take them over clemson because of who they would have to beat at that point yep you would, but with the committee. <laughs> Sorry, Lucas. I think yeah. they well, would. Well, no, the committee has been ranking Pac-12 teams pretty highly. Yeah. We have three teams in the top ten right now. Is that right? I didn't. Twelve. Oh, what, what is UCLA? 12. Oh, okay. UCLA is twelve, which yeah. doesn't make any sense because they have more better wins That's... than USC. But yeah. yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, it's Oregon six, USC's nine, UCLA is twelve. I think. Yeah, I feel like the interesting cases are ones where, say, like. Michigan loses to Ohio State and is one loss, does not win the Big Ten, but Clemson yeah. win, wins the ACC. Like, who takes that? Michigan should, but who knows? Or, or something they? like that. What? Do you think they should? Well, I mean, they don't have the... 
The conference championship is supposed to mean something, so. It should, but in the ACC, yeah. Okay, so we're going off of eye test now. There's no eye <laughs> test. We've seen it. <laughs> We've seen a non-ACC team just obliterate them in somewhat of a down year. I feel like that's sufficient. Sufficient non-eye test for me, or I guess eye test. But anyway. Okay. Yeah, the quality Michigan's quality loss at that point would probably outweigh any win that Clemson had. The committee loves quality quality losses. It's better than a yeah a normal win. A quality loss beats a dude. Two quality losses might even be better than one win. (laughs) (laughs) The committee's eye. Oh god. Okay, so staying in college football, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a specific player on LSU uh, and also a little bit of Pac-12 to make Jared happy. Uh, but we've got we've seen two guys kind of swap conferences this year and have dominant years. Jaden Daniels went from the Pac-12 to the SEC uh, for LSU. He's having career numbers this year. His completion percentage, his passing touchdowns, his rushing TDs—they're all pretty much the peak that he's had. Uh, Bo Nix, meanwhile, went the opposite direction. Went from Auburn to Oregon. He's also having a career year. Bart. What do these comparison points say about the Pac-12 and the SEC? So I am apprehensive about just comparing two players in isolation. So what I did after a suggestion from Jared is look at all transfer quarterbacks since 2000 to compare uh, how quarterbacks perform when transferring between Power 5 conferences specifically. Would you believe if I told you that there have only been 32 QBs who have transferred from one Power 5 conference to another mm-hmm. since then and played a meaningful season in both places? Wow. So the sample size still is not big, but it's bigger than two players. Um, <laughs> I'll let listeners decide whether they think this is actually relevant because like, you still only have like somewhere between five and ten guys coming from each conference or transferring into each conference. So it's like, you know. But anyway, basically, what's my main takeaway on this? My main takeaway is that if you are a college quarterback – and you want to improve your stats, you want to take the proverbial next step, transfer into the Pac-12. <laughs> Do it as soon as you can. That seems to be what the stats say. <laughs> Basically, everything I'm about to say is just reaffirming people's prob- probably people's pre-existing perceptions of the SEC and the Pac-12. <laughs> so here, here we go. If you look at all the seasons played by the transfer quarterbacks in both schools, before and after their transfer, Pac-12 has the second best stats. And then Pac-12 also has the second best stats of just quarterbacks transfer seasons. SEC is second worst in both of them. So that probably says, wait, aren't Pac-12 quarterbacks good? No, actually. I think it's about the defenses being bad. So then I looked at improvement that quarterbacks make when they transfer. Quarterbacks transferring into the Pac-12 improve the second most. Into the SEC, they improve the least. Actually, on average, quarterbacks get worse when they go into the, into the SEC. And then quarterbacks going into the Pac-12, seven of those eight QBs got better than they did at their other school. And six of those eight had a career best season. That num- those numbers seven and six are both the highest of any conference. And then I think the most compelling thing, if you look at quarterbacks leaving, so after leaving, ex-Pac-12 quarterbacks put up the second worst stats on average at their new schools, and they showed the least improvement. <laughs> SEC quarterbacks were the best in their new schools, and they showed the most improvement. Uh, this is like a cherry-picked example, but apparently the worst season by a quarterback at his new school is Keaton Slovis right now, who, as you know, <laughs> left the Pac-12. He's doing very poorly at Pittsburgh. 
So basically, to go back to Aiden's original question, Bo Nix is doing what you would expect. I'm not trying to diminish the season at all because he's having a fantastic season, but it shouldn't be a surprise that a guy who left the SEC and went into the Pac-12 is, is killing it. However, Jaden Daniels is like a huge outlier. To go from the Pac-12 and thrive in the SEC like he's doing is basically the opposite of what the stats suggest. So it just makes what, his, what he's doing even more impressive. But yeah, again, it's like 32 total quarterbacks. <laughs> I wish that this data set were like 10 times as big. But yeah, go into the Pac-12. You will do better. <laughs> Wait, on, when, when it was on the stats where the Pac-12 was like second best, who was, who was first? It's always either the Big 12, which shouldn't surprise you, or the Big yeah. 10 sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The ACC and the SEC are never the worst at anything. Interesting. So what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of offensive mastermind coaches in the Pac-12 that know how to unlock quarterbacks. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Exactly. That's a great, great one. <laughs> oh, and that's, a, yeah, this, <laughs> this data is away. incredibly skewed by Caleb Williams and Bo Nix right now, who are both, like, absolutely killing it. It's mm. uh, so, like, mm. yeah. yeah, take it with even with two grains of salt. Also, yeah, speaking to that to that skewedness, like I think a lot of it, like Jaden Daniels' success as well, is is attributed to coaching. In terms of mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels objectively went into a better coach from Herd members yep. to Brian Kelly. Yep. Um, Bo Nix probably went for a, to a better coach as well, and Dan Lanning is looking pretty good at least against Pac-12, you know, Pac-12 uh, defenses. Let's yeah. say is looking pretty good, and then we already knew what Lincoln Riley could do um, with the same right. with the same quarterback. I feel like that might provide a good comparison in terms of Caleb Williams' stats because it's the same coach going over to a new conference now and kind of dicing mm-hmm. it up. That's uh, it's not a good look for the Pac-12. Yeah. I didn't look at Caleb Williams' stats specifically, how much they changed. I know he only played like half the season last year anyway, but yeah. Yeah, yeah at least the Bonex, Jaden Daniels cases feel like the transfer portal working as intended or like working mm-hmm. well. And that both of them were in worse situations previously. Like, yes, maybe Bonix was in a harder conference previously, but both of their previous coaches have been fired, right? Like, Herm Edwards was mm-hmm. fired, um, and Auburn's coach, I forget his name at this point, was fired, right? So they both were leaving a situation that was not great, and here they are in a better situation now, which is kind of the point of transferring. So they... <laughs> Yeah, good reason. Right. I I did see. I checked this. Apparently, it's like fifty nine point something percent of quarterbacks play better after they transfer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that it is it is better than half, which is good to see. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like obviously this makes sense because the transfer rules have loosened up, but it's like happening a lot more often these days than it used to. So that mm-hmm. also bodes well. Yeah, we're gonna have a lot more data points soon. So <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Especially when in in like Bo Nix's case, he had to he had to play a, a, under a coach that didn't recruit him. Um, like he he was yeah. with Gus Malzahn, and then Brian Harson took over. He's like, this isn't even the guy that recruited me. It would make sense that he'd go somewhere else. Um, yeah. And it is yet yeah, like you said, it, it benefits players that are in situations like that. Yeah. Sad for the Pac-12. I was not surprised. I was kind of not shocked. I was trying to find the first time I brought up the stat. I was trying to find ways to, you know, twist it for the Pac-12's benefit. But I was like, dang, Bonix is just doing too well. <laughs> no, the Jaden Daniels case, though, is very interesting. So, I, yeah. I, you know, that's worth something in terms of exploring. Because he had, like, a 
a great like freshman year yeah and then really struggled the last two years especially last year right and then just totally turned it around so it's it's a very interesting case study that one at least anyways in our last college football segment of the episode we're going to do our our usual (laughs) b-c-t-o-t-w you all know that at this point you all know i'm gonna say it just for you know um just just for the sake of saying it blue collar team of the week Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's obvious. Lucas, who is the blue collar team of the week? They're an old friend. Oh. They are the Marshall Thundering Herd. Oh. <laughs> are an easy choice for the BCTOTW. <laughs> so when announcers talk about blue collar football, what are they talking about? They're talking about <laughs> pl- hard playing, run first, defensive teams. And Marshall fit all those categories this past week. They won 12 nothing over Old Dominion. That's just a perfect example of this mentality. First off, 12 nothing, a defensive struggle. Perfect encapsulation of that defense first football that those announcers are talking about when they see blue-collar football. Second, they didn't really do it by passing the ball. Again, run first. That's part of blue-collar football when announcers talk about it. They only had 89 yards passing, but they had two rushers who each had 130 more yards rushing. Whoa, and they Pretty only crazy. scored 12 points off that? My know, goodness. Right? Crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you put together the run first mentality, the defensive style. That's blue collar football when the announcers are talking about it. And so Marshall <laughs> fulfills it this week with their 12 nothing victory over Old Dominion. I bet you, I'm just guessing they completed single digit passes. Is that true? I would imagine so. They threw two interceptions too. Oh, that's, oh. that's why they only scored 12. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, 13 for 25. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Yeah. But completing 50% of your passes is pretty blue collar, too. <laughs> it is. That's very blue collar. Yeah. Oh, man. So it's a trick play. <laughs> exactly. They were all trick play. <laughs> the guy who had 25 attempts was a receiver. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, shout out, Marshall. And shout out to all our listeners. Um, I hope you come back or keep coming back for all this good Marshall content, all this good college football content. We got some episodes every week. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, and on Spotify so we can fill your feed with those good new episodes. Um, and we'll see you soon. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social media at lunchpailguys underscore. See you later this week. Bye.